0: home of the best Georgia gear and accessories that you will find anywhere. You guys know the drill. I'm your host, Tyler, and today on the podcast, we are setting our sights fully, 100% on Georgia's matchup with the Kentucky Wildcats. It's another big one between the hedges this week as Kentucky comes calling with its undefeated record in a game that will likely decide the SEC Eastern Division. Guys, college ball is so amazing. It's so amazing. I mean, for so many reasons, college ball is awesome. But we came into this season bemoaning how terrible the home schedule was. And here we are going into our second straight fringe top 10 matchup between the hedges. I say fringe top 10 because Kentucky's technically not top 10. They're number 11, but come on. For all practical purposes, it's basically a top 10 matchup. But coming into the season, I can see why someone would look at the home schedule and be like, oh, Kentucky, I mean, what? Arkansas, what? Because I was kind of doing it myself. I got to throw myself in there as well. I mean, they weren't really anywhere close to the top 25 coming into the season. On our predictions episode, I did predict Kentucky to finish second in the SEC East, and I did feel that they would be our biggest competitor for the East this season, but that certainly was not the prevailing opinion of Kentucky coming into this 2021 season. But here we are. We sit here right now about to play them in what I believe will be the game that ultimately decides who wins the SEC East. And of course, I am here to break it all down for you with our official glory uga preview of that game but first if you ever find yourself looking to make a trip to athens be it for a football game a concert visiting friends or family graduation for your kids whatever it might be make sure to book your stay at the normal town cottage right in the heart of athens the normal town cottage boasts three bedrooms a kitchenette big screen tv and it provides the comfort of home in a way a hotel never could, even the nicest hotel. It's immaculately clean, it's safe, it's conveniently located. It offers free parking on a tree-lined street in the most beautiful neighborhood in all of Athens. So check it out today on Instagram, Airbnb, or the link pinned to our Glory UGA Twitter profile to book your next stay in Athens today. But all right, guys, let's get into this preview and I'm calling a little bit of an Audible today. Obviously, we're still doing the preview show. That's definitely gonna be happening. But to this point in the season, I've previewed each game using a countdown model, that kind of format. But today, I don't know, man. I just feel like doing it a little bit differently for this game. There's a lot that I want to say about the Kentucky program, this Kentucky team, and this specific game that doesn't necessarily fit that countdown format. So I'm just gonna switch it up a little bit for this one week. The countdown's not going away. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on that format, on that model this season. But hey, it never hurts to keep things fresh and, and switch it up every once in a while, right? But let's officially start this preview by saying how much respect I have for Mark Stoops and what he has been able to build in Lexington they are in the midst of their best run since Bear Bryant from way back in the 1950s. They haven't been elite necessarily under Mark Stoops. No, they, they haven't been elite at all. That's, that's the fact. But they have been remarkably consistent, and they even jumped up and challenged for the East back in 2018 en route to a 10-win season. Now, when Bear Bryant was once upon a time roaming your sidelines, you can't sit here and say that Mark Stoops is the best coach in program history, but you can at least say that he's the best coach in program history since Bear Bryant back in the 1950s. And Mark Stoops has established a program identity. Those programs who are kind of, I don't wanna say at necessarily afterthought college football programs, but certainly not blue blood college football programs, for them to start to rise up, you've got to build an identity. You have to establish an identity, and they have done that in Lexington. It's an identity built on strong defense and a physical ground game, and they do a fantastic job recruiting to that identity and then developing the players once they get them on campus. They play hard. They play physical. They are sound in all three phases of the game. They rarely beat themselves. That is the identity of this football team and this football program. And I do think that this is the second best team in the SEC East. I stand by that. But that doesn't necessarily mean they are an elite team. That doesn't mean they are on Georgia's level because they're not. I think this Kentucky team is very comparable to the 2018 Kentucky team that won 10 games. I think the fact that they are the second best team in the East this year and are likely going to win 10 or 11 games, I mean, look at the schedule, guys. This team is absolutely going to win 10 or 11 games. I think that's more so about the rest of the division than it is about them, about the Kentucky Wildcats. I don't think their success so far this year is as much about them elevating their game as it is about the other teams, like the floors of the world, the Missouris of the world, the other teams in the division, and in the conference at large, coming back to the pack a little bit. Kentucky's good. Let's not, let, let's not lose sight of that. This is a good football team. I'm not saying they're not good. They are good. They deserve our respect. I do respect them. They are 6-0, and they're already 4-0 in conference play with a win at the time over a top 10 Florida program. Florida's not the top 10 anymore, but at the time they were. And in that Florida program, you guys know the the history. They have been the bane of Kentucky's football existence for the past 35 years. And they they got the monkey off their back a couple years ago by beating Florida, but they beat them at home in Lexington for the first time in like, what, since 1986, I want to say. So they've done what they've had to do, and they've beaten the teams that have been put in front of them. But that doesn't make them elite. That doesn't make them a top 10 caliber team, which is kind of where they're sitting right now in the rings, right there on the fringe of the top 10. And and let's really dive into the numbers here to explain this in a little bit more detail. You guys that have been listening for a while, you know that once we get to this point in the season, I'm a really big proponent of your total yardage differential, taking the total yards you've gained, the total yards you've surrendered, and subtracting them, right? And that gives you your total yardage differential. Right now, guys, Kentucky is plus 24 yards on the year. That's very average. That's very, very pedestrian. In week three, they outgained the University of Tennessee Chattanooga, the old UTC Mox. They outgained them by a grand total of 18 yards. And the flip side, a couple weeks back, yeah, they beat Florida. Awesome. You know, good teams find a way to win games. I'm a big believer in that. But they were outgained by Florida by 160 yards in that game, and they ended up winning because, because Florida made critical mistakes. And again, Good teams find a way to win. Even if you aren't at your best, you find a way to win. Bad teams find a way to lose games. And that's what happened in that game. But there is a difference between winning by the skin of your teeth because you played a clean game and going out and just flat out dominating your opponents. Because that's not what Kentucky's been doing. Yeah, they put up big rushing numbers against Missouri and LSU. They rushed for 340 against Missouri. They rushed for 330 last week against LSU. Big time rushing performances, right? But there's context. Missouri, I don't know if you guys realize this. We've talked about how bad they are with their rush defense, but guys, they've fallen all the way down to number 130 in rush defense. If you're not familiar with how many teams there are in the FBS, there are 130 teams in the FBS. That means Missouri is dead freaking last in the country in rush defense, getting up 288 yards a game. So sure, Kentucky had a great day on the ground against Missouri, but so has everyone. How much should we read into that? LSU is giving up over 200 yards a game on the ground against power five teams. You guys watched that UCL game. UCLA ran all over them. And then, sure, yeah, Kentucky's defense is good. They held Louisiana Monroe to 88 total yards. You look at that in the, in the stat books, you look, the, you look at the box score, and you're like, whoa, Kentucky's good. They're great on defense. And yeah, they are good on defense, but there's more context here. Louisiana Monroe is dead last in the FBS in total offense. So how much do you read into that? It's great holding anyone to 88 yards. That's doing something. But Louisa Monroe's terrible. They're dead last in the entire country in total offense. And yeah, Kentucky's 4-0 in the SEC. That's awesome. They've beaten who they've had to beat, who's been put in front of them. But they beat Missouri, South Carolina, and Florida, by a combined 20 points. Guys, that's less than one touchdown a game, all right? And those, Florida's pretty good. Florida's not a bad football team. Florida's a good football team. Missouri is not a good football team. South Carolina is not a good football team, and they're barely skating by against those teams. Yeah, they poured it on LSU late last week, but again, there's more context here, guys. That's an LSU football team that has flat out quit on its coach. I'm shocked, honestly, that Coach O still has a job. He's still employed by the LSU Tigers. I'm still stunned by that. So, what I'm saying here is that while this is a good football team, Kentucky is good, and they have beaten everyone who has been put in front of them. There's something to be said for that. There's still a lot of smoke and mirrors involved here with this team in 2021. I really, when I'm looking at this Kentucky team, the team that I would compare them to in recent history is Indiana from last year. You guys remember Indiana last year? They had some hype coming into this year, not working out so well. All that hype was based off their success last year. They were six and two overall, six and one in the Big 10, but that was smoke and mirrors. If you guys watch Indiana play last year, they weren't that good. It, give them credit; they found a way to win games, but a lot of that was a function of teams just imploding. Because Indiana was minus 150 last year in their total yards differential, they were actually outgained by their opponents by 150 yards on the year. But somehow they found a way to be six and two. Overall in 6-1, the Big Ten. A big part of that was the fact that Penn State was down, Michigan was down, Wisconsin was down. And yeah, they did enough to win those games, but they were never really that good. And that's kind of what Kentucky reminds me of. They've done what they've had to do to win football games, but Florida's a little bit down this year. LSU's way down this year. South Carolina's working in a new coaching staff, and they are not good. Missouri is down this year. Missouri's never great, but they're really, really struggling defensively. Those teams that they have played have come back to the pack. It's not about them raising their level. Just like last year, it wasn't about Indiana like being great and really raising their level of play. It was just the teams that were playing weren't as good. They were getting lucky. There's a luck factor. Balls are bouncing their way. They're doing just enough to skate by and win football games. And that's kind of what Kentucky's been doing. They have not been dominating anyone really since week one against Louisiana Monroe. But I don't know I don't even know if that really matters. So here they are. They sit here right now as a fringe top 10 team. So how did we get here? How did we get to this point? The identity and the formula for this Kentucky team, their formula to win, is still very, very much the same. We talked about it earlier. Strong defense, power run game. That's what it's been about for them. And that's what they've got this year. Defensively, they're third in the SEC, giving up 305 yards a game. That's only a yard more than Alabama's giving up. So they're almost, for all practical purposes, they're like second in the, in the league right behind us in total defense. They're second in the conference in yards per play allowed, only allowing 4.61 yards per play. That's top 20 nationally in yards per play and in yards allowed per game. They're also fourth in the SEC in points per game, giving up 17 and a half points per game. So again, strong defense. That's Mark Stoop's background. Just like Kirby Smart's background is as a defensive coach, that's Mark Stoops' background. They're always gonna have a strong defense in Kentucky, just like they are just like we're always gonna have a strong defense here in Athens as long as Kirby Smart's here. Some years we might be better than others defensively, but we're still always going to be good on that side of the ball. And you can say the same thing about Kentucky. And then offensively, that identity again sitting around a physical ground game. Also paired with a dual threat quarterback and then taking play action shots off of that. Right now, they're top 25 nationally in rushing offense, 215 yards a game. They're also top 15 in the country in yards per rush. They're very efficient running the football, five and a half yards per rush. But passing game? Yeah, not so much. They're 13th in the SEC in passing offense at 197.7 yards passing per game. So clearly this is still a team following that same offensive formula. We're going to run the football, power run game, dual threat quarterback. We're not going to throw that, the ball all that much. That's not what we're leaning on. But here's what I will say for the passing game. They don't throw the ball often. They don't throw for a lot of yards every game. But when they do throw the ball, they've been relatively explosive in the pass game. They're fifth in the SEC in yards per pass attempt at 8.4. And that's like almost middle of the pack. But when you're 13th in the league, in overall passing offense, but you're fifth in yards per passes. And what that tells me is you don't throw the ball very often. When you do, you're biting off chunks. You're trying to bite off chunk plays. And they're also fourth in the league in pass plays of 30 or more yards. They're actually slightly more explosive in the pass game than us. They have 11 plays of 30 more yards in the pass game. We have 10. So we're just right there, about even, but they're comparable to us in terms of how they're pushing the ball down the field. But that's the identity, and that's the formula for this Kentucky team. Strong defense, power run game, play action shots off that, and they are really, really good at doing those things. They know who they are, and they play to those strengths, and there's something to be said about that.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lipson Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lipson Ads. Go to com now. That's libsyn dot com.
0: But all right, let's dig a little deeper here, and I want to dig deeper into the offensive side of the ball. We're going to do the defense here in a minute, but let's start offensively, okay? So offensively, they brought in a new coordinator. They got rid of Eddie Grand last year. He is a long-time coordinator there under Mark Stoops at Kentucky. Things weren't working out. The fan base had turned against him, so they got rid of him. I think he's actually still with the program in some capacity. He's just not their offensive coordinator anymore. And they bring in Liam Cohen from the Sean McVay tree in the NFL to be their new OC. And he's done a really good job with this Kentucky team. He's continue to build off of the identity that they had already established before his arrival. And and a big part of that is that that's what their personnel is built to do right now. I don't know if he wants to keep it that same identity long-term, but that's what they have on hand right now. So you kind of have to lean into it. And I respect that. I think that's smart. You kind of build what you do offensively or defensively, whatever side of the ball, around the personnel that you have on on hand. That's good coaching. So they're not running the true Sean McVay Rams offense. They're not doing that. But there are elements of it that they have weaved throughout their playbook. The core identity, as I just said, is still the same. It's still the same in terms of their desire to want to run the football. But Cohen is very creative in how he schemes up the run game. They do some really cool stuff. They're very heavy in their use of pre-snap shifts, pre-snap motions, to out-leverage defenders, to get defenders out of position, and, and also force the defense to communicate. One of the hardest things for defenses to do in college football is communicate. You only have a split second now with teams with how they run tempo to be able to communicate any changes. When the offense shifts and they motion, it changes things, and it changes responsibilities at times. So you have to be able to communicate that, and forcing defenses to have to do that consistently, can create big play opportunities because really where you hit a lot of your big plays sure it's great to beat somebody one-on-one if you can force man coverage that's awesome but you know what you can also beat teams and create explosive plays when they just blow assignments and you don't have to just wait on them to do that for you you can put them in situations where you force them to blow assignments by how you use pre-snap shifts motions to force them to communicate so they're really adept at that and they're also really adept at creating run lanes for the backs to run through by using motion and shifts to out leverage defenders and get their those guys out of position. It's a really, really well-schemed run game. They'll do some gap scheme stuff where they're trying to run power right at you. They'll do some split zone stuff. They'll do some inside zone, some outside zone. They'll do jet sweeps with Wandell Robinson. They'll do some quarterback run game. They have a variety of things that they build into their run game, and they attack you in different ways all on the ground. And I, I'm really impressed by what I've seen from Leon Cohen to this point in how he schemed up this run game. And then when you have a back like Chris Rodriguez, one of the best offensive lines in America with multiple, multiple future NFL players on it and a dual threat quarterback, you can really make it tough on defenses to stop the run game. You really can. And let's talk about some of these these players, this personnel here. Chris Rodriguez, just mentioned him, right? Chris Rodriguez is the best back in the country that no one talks about. I'm not saying he's the best back in America. I think that goes to B. John Robinson right now. He has the title for that right now. But Chris Rodriguez is awesome. And no one really talks about him on the national stage. 5'11", 225 pounds. He's currently leading the SEC in rushing. He's top five in the country, averaging 128 yards a game on the ground. He's a very tough physical runner, a la Benny Snell. Remember that game, that name from a couple years ago, right guys? In fact, they call him Little Benny because he's very, very similar in his skill set to Benny Snell. He does have a bit of a fumbling issue, but he fits this team, he fits its identity, and he has been incredibly productive for them. Even going back to last year, I believe if I remember correctly, he was the second highest rated returning running back in the country according to Pro Football Focus and their grades however they do the grades who knows how they do the grades but according to them he was their second highest rated returning running back this season and honestly if you watch him play last year that kind of fits he was really really good for them and then backing him up you have Cavassier Smoke who's a really good complimentary piece especially receiving on the backfield. He's kind of not exactly a carbon copy, but kind of their version of James Cook in a way where they want to use him the pass game, the screen game. He'll come and he'll run between the tackles as well, but he's more of a guy that can operate in space more so than a guy like Chris Rodriguez does. Now, quarterback, they've got a transfer from Penn State. Will Levis has come over from Penn State. He was competing with Sean Clifford at Penn State, took over that starting job for a couple games last year, but Clifford got it back. So Levis ends up transferring out. And here he is in Kentucky, lands in Lexington. And you look at Levis, I still say that he's a better passer than Terry Wilson was, which that's not saying much. Terry Wilson was horrific as a passer, but he's still a better runner than he is a passer. He's better as a passer than Terry Wilson was, but he's still a guy at quarterback that I think is a better runner than he is a passer. He is big and he is physical himself, very much like Chris Rodriguez. He's 6'3, 235. I think he's more of a KJ Jefferson type runner than he is like a Bo Nix guy who's gonna run around. He's a dual threat guy, can create with his legs but he doesn't like run around and, and do the backyard bow type stuff where he's escaping pressure and he's just out there and That's not really what, he's, what he does. He's more of a downhill physical runner and he's got good speed as well, but he's certainly much more in the vein of a KJ Jefferson than he is like a, a bow Knicks or like an Emory Jones type guy. But he is certainly a factor in the run game and we'll talk more about him in the pass game here in a little bit. But the offensive line, you cannot talk about this Kentucky offense without talking about the offensive line. In fact, the offensive line probably should have been the headliner here because that is the the best unit on their entire football team. Offense or defense, doesn't matter. It's the best unit on the entire team. Again, they have multiple NFL future players on that uh, offensive line. Maybe not first-rounders, but they have multiple guys that will play in the NFL. And Darian Kennard is their best offensive lineman. He is their right tackle. And that guy is very likely a future first-round draft pick. Now the fact that he plays right tackle, not left tackle, right now, maybe that works against him a little bit. But at the very least, he is a future second-round pick. I mean, he's going to be a high NFL draft pick. He is very, very good. Now he did leave the game last week against LSU with it looked like an ankle injury, but he came back in the game. Was seen kind of hobbling a little bit towards the end there. I it seems like he's going to be cleared to play. Will it be 100 percent? I would say probably not, but I mean it's kind of the same thing with Jamari Sawyer. Probably won't be 100, percent but we'll probably be out there playing, give it a go, and be able to play, and we'll see how effective they are. But you got him at right tackle. You got Dar Rosenthal, the transfer from LSU, playing left tackle. He's a future NFL player as well. And then Luke Fortner at center is as good of a center as there is in America. Also, in my opinion, a future NFL player. And so you combine that the the offensive line the running backs, Chris Rodriguez, how good he is, along with a dual threat quarterback in Will Levis, also along with a great scheme from Liam Cohen. The combination of all those things, that's why they're a top 25 rushing offense in the country. And that's also why I think this is going to be the biggest challenge to date for our defensive line, for our front six, for our defense in general in terms of stopping the run. And I do believe, guys, I do believe this is the matchup the Kentucky rush offense versus our rush defense. I think this is the matchup that will ultimately decide this game just like it was against Arkansas. Because just like Arkansas, Kentucky, in my opinion, based off what I've seen in every game they played this year, because I have broken down every single game they played this year in preparation for this episode, they are not equipped to beat us through the air if we take away their ground game. If we make them play left-handed, which in this case is making Will Levis beat us with his arm, I do not think they are equipped to beat us. Just like I did not think Arkansas was equipped to beat us if we took away their ground game and forced KJ Jefferson to beat us with his arm. And that played out in a way that I thought it would, and I think this game will play out in a very similar fashion if, big if, if, we are able to stop the real game. I do think it's going to be the biggest challenge to date, stopping their rushing attack. But if we're able to do it, I just don't believe Will Levis in the Kentucky passing game is going to be able to consistently move the ball enough to beat us. I just don't. And let's talk about Will Levis. Let me explain this in a little more detail why I don't think they're good enough in the pass game. Levis had a hell of a debut. I told you guys before the season, I thought he was going to be an upgrade over Terry Wilson. And I still think he's an upgrade over Terry Wilson. But then after his debut against Louisiana Monroe, where he threw for like 367 and four touchdowns, I was thinking like, oh man, like maybe he's even better than I thought. I think I even said that on the show. And he was great in that first game against Louisiana Monroe. But like we always say about week one, you got to resist the temptation to overreact. And I kind of did overreact a little bit with Will Levis. I have to own that. And then he also threw for 254 and two touchdowns, although he did have two picks in that game against Tennessee Chattanooga, a game that they had to sweat out whether or not they were going to win that game late. They ultimately obviously did end up winning it, but it was a game they had to sweat out. So great debut, had a good game against UTC, right? 376 against, or 367 against Louisiana Monroe, 254, two touchdowns against Tennessee Chattanooga. But against SCC competition, those numbers have flat out Plummeted and plummeted doesn't really do justice to what's happened to his passing game numbers in games against SEC opponents. There are four games against SEC teams. Will Levis is 41 of 74, which is 55% completion percentage for only 513 yards. Yeah, that guys, that's four games. That's over the course of four games. That comes out to 128 yards a game in SEC play. In fact, he also has not even attempted more than 22 passes in an SEC game and has not thrown for more than 179 yards in an SEC game. Now, even if you include their non-Power Five games against Tennessee Chattanooga, against Louisiana Monroe, their passing offense is still only 97th nationally. Again, I still think Levis is a more capable passer than Terry Wilson was. Wilson was that bad but he certainly has not been a dynamic passer in his own right. He has not been. He certainly has not been. Now, the one saving grace they do have in their passing game is that they do have a dynamic playmaker at wide receiver, very much in the mold of Lynn Bowden in Wondell Robinson, the guy that transferred in from Nebraska, his former Mr. Kentucky football player, left, went to Nebraska. Things didn't work out there, obviously, with Scott Frost. He comes back home to Kentucky, and he is now like their new Lynn Bowden. That's basically what he is, and he is flat out, straight up, 100% electric with the ball in his hands. And they do a really good job. Liam Cohen, again, doing a really good job of finding creative ways to get him involved and to get him his touches. They'll, they'll work him in the screen game. They'll take some vertical shots with him. They'll work him uh, in the run game a little bit with like jet sweep and that kind of motion, that kind of stuff. They're finding ways to get him the ball and really get him in space. And that's really where he's at his best and he's straight up their guy. He is their guy at wide receiver. He has accounted for 52% of their receptions and 57% of their receiving yards in SEC play. He is a small guy. He's not a big guy. Neither was Lynn Bowden, but he's so elusive and he's so twitchy in space, and that's where they want to give him opportunities to operate. You guys probably saw last week against LSU and the I think it was in the first quarter. I think maybe their first score. They got him a little screen. And he just jitterbugged his way to the end zone. And he was just a flash, man, a flash of light. He's got good speed. He's really twitchy. He's elusive in space. He's really, really tough to handle. Tackling in space is going to be an important part of this game for us. So he's great. He's dynamic. We got to know where he is at all times. And we have got to be ready to defend him, have to have a game plan to take him away. But one thing that has also hurt their passing game. It's not just Levis. It's the loss of Josh Ali, who was pretty much their code number one wide receiver coming into the season. He was their number one guy last year, but he got hurt against Florida. And from all accounts, based off what I'm hearing right now, things could change. Certainly things could change. But based off what I'm hearing right now, it looks like he will still likely be out on Saturday as well. So that's a blow for them in the passing game. It's one of the reasons they haven't been able to generate as much success in the passing game because teams can key on and can certainly scheme to take away Wondell Robinson more than they could if they also had to account for a guy with the skill set of Josh Ali, who's a different kind of player than Wondell Robinson, but certainly is a guy that can be effective in his own right and can make plays out there, wide receiver, to kind of take some of that pressure off of Wondell Robinson. But even with Robinson, I just don't think they are equipped to consistently move the football through the air if they have to. I just don't think they are. Their passing game, it basically right now consists of screens and play action shots down the field. That's pretty much what it's about. And screens they can run. They'll run screens you know, all day long. They can still do that even if the run game's not going. But play action, you guys know this, play action just simply is not going to be near as effective if they cannot get the ground game going. And if we're able to stop the run, at least hold it relatively in check, I don't know if we're going to be able to stop a rushing offense like that, but hold it in check, and we're able to sit back in a two-deep shell like we have all season, Will Levis will absolutely force balls into coverage and put balls up for grabs. When they call those shot plays, more often than not, he did a better job of this against LSU, but prior to that game, when they call those shot plays, that dude is throwing the ball and taking the shot come hell or high water. No matter if there's three guys circling his receiver just sitting there waiting for the ball, he's going to throw the football. And that's an opportunity to create some turnovers that can certainly change the game. So again, much like Arkansas, this game's going to come down to stopping the run. If we stop the run defensively, if we at least hold them in check on the ground, I think we stop Kentucky. Now, the big question, of course, becomes, Will we have success doing that? Will we be able to once again shut down an opposing offense's ground game? And as I said earlier, I do think this is the biggest challenge to date for our defense in terms of the run games that we have faced. If you look at it from a personnel standpoint, at running back, the offensive line, even at quarterback as well with how he's able to run the football and schematically what Liam Cohen does to scheme things up, I do think this is going to be the biggest challenge today that we've had to face in terms of stopping a run game. But I still can't get around this, guys. What they do offensively, what they excel at, what their offense is built around, it plays right into our hands defensively. Now, I'm not gonna sit here and guarantee you that we're gonna hold Kentucky under 100 yards like we have everyone else this season. I can't guarantee you that. I can't guarantee that we're gonna hold them under 100 yards rushing. But I will say this I don't think they're gonna run for 250 either, okay? I don't think that's gonna happen. Their offensive line is awesome. It is. It's really, really good. It's the best we've faced by far. It's the best personnel, best group. They're playing at a higher level than any offensive line that we've faced at this point. But our defensive line and our group of linebackers is also by far the best group they have faced. The flip side is true as well. This is going to be the best group we face. We're going to be the best group they've also faced. You can't ignore that. And I think a big key here in terms of stopping their run is will Jordan Davis be able to force double teams like he does basically each and every week. I know it sounds crazy on the surface because everyone's basically had a double team, Jordan Davis, and they still can't really move him at all, but it wouldn't completely shock me to see Kentucky come out and at least just experiment, just see, just try it and see if center Luke Fortner can handle Davis on his own. And if the answer is yes, that could be a major problem for us but I don't think the answer is going to be yes. I don't think that he'll be able to do that. And if Jordan Davis is able to once again force those double teams, it's going to make life very difficult on this Kentucky ground game. It really is because we're just so good everywhere else. If you're doubling Jordan, someone else, you're blocking straight up. And guys, I don't know if you've noticed, but no one has been able to block Jalen Carter all year. Very few people have been able to block Devontae White on any sort of consistent basis all year. We've got Travon Walker on the edge there. Nolan Smith's playing lights out against the run right now. We have as good of a group of linebackers as there is in the country. So if you're having to to double team Jordan Davis, at least one or two of those other guys are going to absolutely feast. That's just reality. I don't care how good they are at spots. I don't know if they're going to consistently be able to hold up against our defensive front. So what's the game plan? If you're Kirby Smart, if you're Dan Lanning, if you're Glenn Schumann, you're Trey Scott, what's the game plan here? So, for me, I think it's pretty simple. I think, from our perspective, defensively, as good as Kentucky has been on the ground, and they've been very good running the football, I just don't think we need to do anything different than what we've been doing defensively, at least to start the game until they force us out of that. So, what have we been doing? It's a very simple formula come out with a 2 high safety shell, give them those middle of the field open looks, don't adjust until teams force us to adjust. And right now to this point, no one has been able to run the football against us to force us to bring safeties in the box. We're, we have been able to stop every single game. We want to stop the run with even or less numbers, which is allowing us to play coverage and protect our cornerbacks and try to limit those explosive plays through the air. So to me, until Kentucky proves to us that they can run the football on us when, when they have even numbers in the box, come out, do what we've been doing all year long, and just try to suffocate them because that's, that's what we've done to every single team. And Kentucky might be different. They are a better rushing team than I think anyone that we face at this point. Arkansas is maybe a close second. I think Kentucky is a little bit better because they have better personnel up front on the offensive line. But come out, two deep shell, bracket Wondell Robinson, wherever he is on the field, and try to stop the run with even numbers. And if they're able to run the football with success against those looks, then you got to readjust and, and you got to roll safeties in the box. But again, no one has been able to do that to us all year. And I just, I'm not gonna believe it's gonna happen until I actually see it. Maybe it'll happen at some point, but right now, I haven't seen it yet. So come out. And it's, it's an old coaching cliche do what you do. Keep doing what you're doing if it's working until someone forces you to stop it, right? And right now, to this point, no one has been able to do that. So let's keep it simple. I don't think it needs to be any more complicated than that.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lipson ads. Go to dot Now that's L I B S Y N ads.com.
0: All right, let's move over to the Kentucky defense here for a couple of minutes. And defensively, this is a quintessential Mark Stoops defense. It's a bunch of hard-nosed, experienced, well-coached, intelligent defenders with a couple of NFL guys sprinkled in there here and there. But the big news this week is that the Wildcats are going to be without their two best defensive linemen. They lost Marquan McCall earlier in the year. He's not out for the entire year, but he's still going to be out this week. Mark Stoops confirmed that in his Monday press conference. He also confirmed that there are other awesome defensive lineman, Octavius Oxendine got hurt last week against LSU, and he is. He is out for the year. So they're without McCall and Oxendine right there in the interior of that Kentucky defense, and that hurts them. That's a huge blow. It's a huge blow for anyone, but they don't really have the depth that like, a team like we have. Like If we lose a guy, like, I mean, I don't even want to say it, but if we lose any of those guys up front, I'm not saying it wouldn't hurt. It would hurt, but we have a lot more depth than most teams in the country. We're more equipped to withstand some of those injuries like we have at other positions throughout the the season to this point, but Kentucky doesn't have that kind of depth. They have some good players up front, Marquan McCall, Oxendine, but when those guys go down, they don't necessarily have those kind of players to kind of step right in and be like next man up and not really skip a beat. They just don't have those guys. I think that's a big factor in this game. Their best player on defense is a guy that's been around for a while, a guy named Josh Pascoe. He plays defensive end for them, uh, he's got seven tackles for loss in the year, which is leading the Kentucky Wildcat defense. He's a really, really strong edge defender, especially against the run. He's not really a dominant pass rusher, but he's certainly a capable pass rusher, especially if it's one-on-one opportunities. He can, he can certainly make you pay there. But I do think he's a better rush defender than he is a pass rusher right now. In terms of the pass rush, their best pass rusher is a guy named J.J. Weaver. He's actually third in the SEC right now in sacks. He's a taller, lankier guy, a la like, to give you a comparison, maybe like Lorenzo Carter from years past, Adam Anderson right now. He's not as athletic as those guys, but he's still uh, he's still a really good athlete. But like from a physical profile, he kind of looks like them off the, off the bus. He's got a really good first step get off. He can play in space again. He's not as athletic as Lorenzo or or Adam are but he's a guy that they certainly use in space at times. They can do some different things. Got A little bit of versatility there uh, coming off the edge, but he's not a great run defender. Kind of like Anderson. Anderson's an outstanding pass rusher. He's gotten better as a run defender, but he's still not an elite run defender. And I think you can say the same thing about JJ Weaver. Me personally, if I'm Todd Munkin, I would identify where he is on every snap and I would run right at him all day long. You don't want to run into... Josh Pascoe run at J.J. Weaver. That's who you want to attack in the run game. But overall, if you look at this Kentucky defense, they're really balanced on defense. You don't hear that term utilized much with defenses. Usually, balance is kind of used in conjunction with offenses, like in terms of having like equal effectiveness or equal production with the the run game and the pass game. But I think defenses can also be balanced. And this Kentucky defense, I think, is a very balanced defense. They're solid against both the run and the pass. They don't have an obvious weakness. Like some teams like Missouri simply cannot stop the run to save their lives. They can't do it. They're fighting against the pass, but they cannot stop the run. They're not balanced. Kentucky's balanced, though. They're not like terrible anywhere. They're not elite at either one of them, but they're not terrible at either one of them either. They're good and solid in both areas. However, if I'm trying to game plan against the Kentucky defense, I do think right now, They are a little bit more vulnerable against the run, especially with McCall and Oxendine out in the middle of that defense. Jaquez Jones and DeAndre Square at linebacker, they're good, experienced players them at linebacker, but again, they just don't have the beef. They don't have the talent up front with McCall and Oxendine out of this game. LSU ran for 150 yards against them. I know that might not sound like a lot, but Tyrion Davis-Price had 147 yards on the ground Against this Kentucky defensive front, or this Kentucky defense in general, and you might be saying, "Well, that's not all that much." But guys, LSU—if you've been watching them all year—they can't run the football. They were—they're still right now 127th nationally in rushing offense. That's been a major problem for them all season, and they had by far their best rushing day of the season against this Kentucky defense without McCall and Oxendine going out late in that game. I mean, LSU had a 100-yard rusher for the first time all season, so if LSU is able to do that i do think we can have some success against this this Kentucky defense on the ground i also think we can have some, some success through the air and and i honestly i do think that we will likely end up throwing it more than 21 times like we did last week or 11 times like we did the week before against arkansas But they are experienced in their back game with guys like Yusuf Corker at safety, Cedric Dort at cornerback. I don't know if that is the way I would come out trying to attack this team. Certainly, you've got to keep them guessing. You've got to stay a little bit balanced there. You've got to kind of keep them off balance to a degree. But if I'm the coordinator here, I'm not scared of their secondary. I'm not sometimes scared of their secondary. But if I'm Todd Munkin, I'm looking at their injury situation up front on the defensive line, and I'm still in this game from a game plan standpoint, I'm still leaning heavily on the ground game. I think you have to exploit that injury situation on the interior of that defensive line. I think you need to attack J.J. Weaver and take him out of what he does best, which is obviously rushing the passer, get the safeties involved in the run game, force man coverage situations like we did last week, and then try to deliver those knockout blows off of play action, just like you saw us do last week. And I know, guys, I know that you all want to see a new Georgia offense, this high-flying aerial attack. We've been talking about that for a while. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not. I'm with you. There will be a time and a place for that. If we want to win a national title, I think there's going to be a time and a place for that. But I don't know if the time and place for that is this week. Because think about this. We're still not 100% a wide receiver. Still likely going to be it without JT Daniels. They have major injuries up front on the defensive line. They are vulnerable there right now. Our ground game is really starting to get rolling to get some momentum. Stetson Bennett, if he's playing quarterback, gives us the ability to involve the quarterback in the run game, which creates even more advantages overall for the entire run game. And if you look at all that in totality, I think it just makes it obvious, again, this is a game where you at least need to come out leaning on the ground game. Because here's what we know. Here is what we know right now offensively. Right now, we know... We have a good offensive line that is improving each week. We know we have an awesome stable of running backs. We know if Stetson's at quarterback, for all his faults he might have, although I think that's a little overplayed. He, we know he is a mobile quarterback that gives us something with his legs from the quarterback position. So to me, it just makes sense. It just makes sense to come out, stay committed to the run game, work play action, work the RPO game off of that, especially again. When you factor in their injury situation up front on the defensive line, without two of their their absolutely their two best defensive linemen are out of this game, we've got to exploit that. So to recap, guys, Kentucky, yes, they are a good football team. They deserve our respect, and they absolutely have my respect. But again, that does not mean they are elite. Yeah, they're six and zero, but a closer examination reveals. That they are much closer to 2020 Indiana than they are to a top five team in 2021. They are only outgang opponents by 24 yards on the year. They played Louisiana Monroe, Tennessee Chattanooga, Missouri, South Carolina, Florida, and LSU. That's six teams that are a combined 17 and 18 on the year. They should be dominating those teams. Everyone at least for outside of Florida, but they haven't. For comparison's sake. Our six opponents are a combined 20 and 15. We also not played an FCS team like they have in UTC. And those six opponents that are actually better than the opponents that Kentucky has played, we are outgaining them by a combined 1,377 yards. Guys, again, Missouri's only plus 24 yards on the year. That is the definition of smoke and mirrors. And there are a lot of similarities between Kentucky and Arkansas. And we remember how that game turned out, right? If you look at those two teams, they're not carving copies. They don't look exactly the same. The the Sean McVay tree offense is not the same as what Kendall Bryles runs, the old Baylor offense. It's not the same, but how these teams are built is similar, especially offensively. Everything flows from the ground game for both those teams. They both had one really big playmaker out wide, and they have a big physical dual threat quarterback that can make plays in the passing game off of play action especially, but hasn't shown the ability to beat SCC teams with his arm alone without the run game to operate off of. So there's a lot of similarities there. So if that's the case, to me, the key will once again, now stop me if you've heard this before, but the key will be once again stopping the Kentucky run game. If we stop their rush attack, they will not consistently move the football. They will not be able to do it on a consistent basis through the air. I mean, heck, they've only averaged 347 yards a game over the last four, even with their run game going. So what is it going to look like if they can't get that going against us on Saturday? And running the football, what they do best, again, that plays directly into our strength defensively. Yeah, sure, it'll be our biggest challenge to date on the ground, but it'll also be their biggest challenge to date as well defensively they're missing some key pieces up front which gives me more confidence that we will be able to continue our success on the ground and hopefully as a result be able to take firm control of the sec east moving into the bye week but all right guys that does it for me today here on the glory uga podcast charlie and i will be back to wrap up the week on thursday with our picks of the week episode and on that episode I will give you my official game prediction and talk one last time about this matchup between the dogs and the cats on Saturday. But thanks for listening, guys. We always appreciate that. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs!